Good morning, everyone. It is lovely to see so many people out at church. Hasn't it been lovely this morning so far? It definitely has. Now, I know that there's been a lot crammed into this morning, so I have kept my sermon short. Just for you. <laughs> but this morning, we're continuing on our series of the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew's Gospel, one of the most well-known passages of Scripture and the place we are given golden nuggets. Golden nuggets of direction, like the Beatitudes that we're working through over the next few weeks. We're also given the Great Commission, where it says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So within this great sermon, and on this same mountain where it was preached, we find Jesus addressing the crowds, teaching them about the qualities which not only define the character of God, but also define the qualities that Christians should possess and strive to live by. He was proclaiming both to his disciples and to other potential disciples what it really meant to follow him. Throughout this series, we are looking at different aspects of the Beatitudes each week, and you will see that each aspect of the, of the Beatitudes are linked together like a chain. There, are, there is a building progression, and each one builds on the previous truth. Immediately after Jesus' baptism by John the Baptist, Jesus begins to announce that the good news that has been proclaimed way back in the Old Testament was now coming to pass. That with him, the new age had dawned. Matthew 4, 23 tells us, Jesus went through Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom. The Sermon on the Mount describes what human life and human community look like when they come under the gracious rule of God. So in Matthew, Jesus opened the Beatitudes with blessings. He describes how the poor in spirit are blessed, how those that are mourning are blessed, and that those who are weak are blessed. And today we're looking at the fourth Beatitude, found in verse 6, and it reads, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Let me ask you a couple of questions. Now, you don't need to answer these out loud, but just think about the question for a minute. What do we need for us to say that we have a good life? What would it take for us to say, I am truly blessed? What do we need to get or buy or change for us to say, I am content? It might be good health, a significant other, more money, better car, bigger house, a good job, an exotic holiday, or maybe it's just for people to like us. Be honest. When we look at our own lives and the direction that we're going, what do you think it takes for us to have a good life? Another question. Have you ever wanted something so bad and you knew that if you were just able to have it, it would make you so much happier and content? 
You've waited for it for so long, you've, man and you've imagined what it would be like to have it, and finally you get it, and it's great. Life is good. Well, I've always wanted a hot tub. <laughs> now, for years, I have been talking about how lovely it would be to get home from work, to get into the swimsuit, and to get straight into a steaming, bubbling hot tub. Spending long, cold nights in an outside bubble bath where no one could bother me and no one could see me in my swimsuit. <laughs> well, during COVID lockdown, I finally got my hot tub. And it, it was big, it was square, and you could fit about six people in it, and it was all mine. All mine. It was lovely. You pressed the bubbles, or the button, and the bubbles started. It was relaxing, it was peaceful. I had my country music going in the background. It was bliss. I was content. But after a while, that hot tub that made me content for a few months soon lost its appeal. I started using it less, the electricity bill shot up, and the novelty wore off. That itch that I thought would be scratched was only scratched for a wee while. It was a temporary fix. Our passage this morning says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. If we're blessed, we feel happy, don't we? It is a joy-filled contentment. Not only blessed are those, but happy are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. The happiness that Jesus presents in the Beatitude, at Beatitudes is not the same as what the world sees happiness as. Many folks believe that material things make them happy, like me and my husband. But the happiness that Jesus is talking about comes from when we pursue the things of God. This is not a physical hunger, but rather a spiritual hunger that underpins everything that we do, the way we act, the way we speak, and the way that we treat others. At the time when Jesus was speaking in Matthew 5, this was a time and of a culture that knew what it was like to be hungry and to go thirsty. Food was plain, people seldom ate meat, and were often hungry, sometimes starving. Food was not always available, and they had nowhere near what we have access to today. Water was collected from wells and carried in pots back to their homes. Feelings of hunger and thirst are compelling. A hungry person can think of little else than food. A thirsty person can think of little else but water. To hunger and thirst is to be totally focused. Totally focused on what is missing in our lives. So we see Jesus using language and concepts in the Beatitudes that are familiar to his audience. They could relate to what he was saying and they understood the intense cravings that we get when we go without the most essential things that we need to keep us alive, food and water. And without them, our bodies would die. If we're, ever, if we're honest, have anyone in here today ever been 
hungry. And I am talking about genuinely and truly hungry or thirsty. Yes, we start to feel hunger pains when we get near feeding time, but we live in a society where access to food is at our fingertips day and night. We can't really relate to the extremity that Jesus is talking about when he's talking about hunger and thirst because we have never felt it before. When we do skip a meal or go without food and water for some time, our bodies begin to crave sustenance. We get to the point where we know that we need a food fix in order to carry on throughout the day. The words hunger and thirst don't mean as much to us as first, first world Christians as what they did to the people in Jesus' day. When we are hungry, we eat. When we're thirsty, we drink. We put, fridge, we could put drinks in the fridge to keep them cold. We shop in supermarkets that have an ab abundance of supplies. In restaurants, we order food and then before long, our food is sitting in front of us and we're tucking into our meal. When someone asks if we are hungry, we usually interpret that as, are you ready to eat again? Anyone who knows me knows that I love food. I love it way too much. Eating in general is my happy place and I'm not embarrassed to admit it. Happy to me is a big all-you-can-eat buffet with lots of different things to try and unlimited soft drinks as well. Now last weekend we were at District Assembly in Scotland and it seems that any time that there was a break in the services, we all went to find food. Isn't that right, Graham? We did. We all went to find food. Now, even in our hotel, we were offered unlimited soft drinks in which Pastor Sammy took as a personal challenge. But we all love to eat. A few weeks ago, I took the mad notion of going on a diet. I think I must have hit my head or something because that is not normal behavior. So my dad has been doing the keto diet for quite a number of months now and he's lost over four stones. And I thought, well, if he can do it, I can do it. No problem. No bread, no pasta, no rice, just meat and veg. Boy, was I wrong. It took me all of one week to figure out that the keto diet was not for me. I was constantly hungry, which made me very grumpy. And by the end of the week, I was majorly craving a big whack of crusty loaf with a thick layer of lurpak butter on it. I was craving bread. But this intense craving of bread that I was feeling is the same feelings of craving that Jesus is talking about here. We should be having that same craving for righteousness. He's talking about a profound hunger that cannot be satisfied by, by a burger or a plate of chips. This is a longing that endures, a deep desire, a longing that leaves you yearning for more. Jesus is saying, we need to crave righteousness in the same way that we crave food and water. A passion for God's order. Now this passion is real, just like hunger and thirst is real. This passion is natural for men and women of God, just like hunger and thirst are natural in human beings. 
This passion can be painful, just like hunger and thirst can be painful. But passion is the driving force. Just like hunger and thirst can drive a person, it's the longing for God's agenda. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. But what is righteousness? The dictionary defines righteousness as behavior that is morally justified or right and is characterized by standards of morality, justice and virtue. So that means be a good person, do the right thing, follow the laws of the land and you're a righteous person. Now the Bible's definition and our guide to follow is God's own perfection in every attribute and every attitude. God's own perfect perfection in every behavior and God's own perfection in every word that comes out of our mouths. It is our conduct in relation to others. Every word, every thought, every deed. To hunger and thirst for righteousness is to possess an active spiritual longing. In Psalm 42, 2, it tells us, My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. What can I, where can I go and meet with God? Have you ever heard the phrase, what would Jesus do? Many of us have heard that. That's what we should be asking ourselves on a regular basis. What would Jesus do? If we don't know how to act or speak or respond, we follow Jesus' lead. What would Jesus do? In the Bible, we're told of the character of God. Nehemiah 9.31 tells us he is loving, compassionate, gracious, kind, and merciful. They are all descriptions of God's character. He is kind-hearted and caring. And 1 John 4.8 tells us that God is love. The psalmist describes God as compassionate and gracious and abounding in love and faithfulness. So great is God's love for us that we're told in John 3.16 that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God's mercy and compassion never fails. They are renewed continuously each and every day. So we're told quite clearly about the character of God and how he instructs us to treat other people around us. Standards, characteristics modelled by God by which we are to follow. This description of our Heavenly Father sets the bar by which he measures human righteousness. Look at exam marks to get into specific schools. You need a certain amount of points to get into a grammar school. You must pass a certain amount of questions in order to get a specific grade. You must have met your targets at work in order to get your bonus at the end of the month. Everything that we do is measured. God sets the bar in which he measures human righteousness. Now we hear the description of God's character and we think to ourselves, that is a mighty high bar to set. And the truth is that we could never reach the standards that are set by God on our own. This, the standard is simply too high. 
But the good news is, true righteousness is possible for mankind, but only through the cleansing of sin by Jesus Christ and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now let me say that again. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. On the cross, Jesus was treated as if he was a sinner, though he was perfectly holy and pure. We are treated as if we are righteous, though we are tainted and wicked. But because of what Jesus endured on our behalf, he made a way for sin to be removed, forgotten, deleted permanently. In the Beatitudes, Jesus turns the world upside down. The world believes in personal pride. Jesus blesses the poor in spirit. The world seeks pleasure. Jesus blesses those who mourn. The world allows aggressive and evil people in places of power. Jesus blesses the meek. The world loves food and drink. Jesus blesses those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Jesus models what he calls for in the Beatitudes. He is a servant, he is meek, he is mournful, and he is merciful. The crowds on the mountain that day were in despair. They were experiencing excessive taxation. They were denied freedoms, they were facing persecution. They had heard from teachers of the law before that day, but they had never heard anyone speak the way that Jesus did that day on the mountain. Chapter 7, verse 28 tells us that the people were astonished at his doctrine, that Jesus spoke with authority. He spoke as a king. He offered them happiness, a happiness that was real and everlasting, not a temporary fix. Offered to those who trusted and followed God with their whole hearts. And that same offer is also made to us today. At the end of the verse we're given a beautiful promise. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Jesus promises to fill this hunger and to quench this thirst. He lived on this earth. And he knew that people needed a meaning in life. He knew that they wanted to be joyful, blissful and happy. The term filled or satisfied in the Beatitude means that the pains of hunger and thirst will disappear. God himself will fulfill our intense desire for the right relationship with him. Salvation is a gift. As Christians, we need to have that hunger, that intense desire to be more like Christ. The crowds on the mountain, on the mountain that day desperately needed this heavenly perspective and the hope for eternal inheritance that Jesus preached in the Beatitudes. For us today, we can have that same heavenly assurance of an eternal inheritance, everlasting, 
permanent, free to all happiness. We too can be filled. All that we need to do is to ask God to fill us. It's there for the taking, a gift that is free to all and will bring so much happiness to our lives. Do we hunger and thirst to be more like God? Do we have that intense craving to not only display God's characteristics, but to show God's characteristics through every aspect of our lives? If we're ever in doubt, we just need to remind ourselves of that little phrase and ask ourselves the question, what would Jesus do? Amen.